Welcome to another exclusive podcast from Pituitary World News. This is Jorge Fascinetti. In today's podcast, Dr. Blevins reviews silent pituitary tumors. These tumors are called silent because they are thought not to secrete hormones. In the podcast, Dr. Blevins refers to a paper recently published in the Journal of Clinical Endocrinology and Metabolism, so we will add a link to the abstract. Dr. Blevins also mentions the term immunostaining, which is the use of a method to detect a specific protein, in this case a hormone, in a sample. This is indeed a fascinating subject due to its complexities and diagnosis challenges. Here's Dr. Blevins. Good afternoon, this is Dr. Lewis Blevins of Pituitary World News podcasting this evening from Sausalito, California. I've been thinking a lot lately about some of my patients that have silent uh, pituitary adenomas and um, the clinical behavior of their lesions and the different types, the ones that we're more concerned about relative to others. And uh, recently I came across a paper that I thought might be worth reviewing or at least pointing out to you folks that it's available. Uh, And the title is actually called Clinical and Pathological Aspects of Silent Pituitary Adenomas. It's by Marta Corbonitz and her group uh, in London. Uh, it was published in Journal of Clinical Endocrinology and Metabolism, uh, July 2019, volume 104, pages 2473 to 2489. Now, some of the principles in this paper apply to hormone-secreting tumors as well. Uh, but the main focus was on those tumors that are silent and not thought to secrete hormones. Um, and recognition of the fact that some of these are, are aggressive tumors and others are not so aggressive. The paper sort of reviews that. There is crossover, however, because one particular uh, thing that we see with these non-functioning or silent pituitary adenomas that uh, tend to immunostain for hormones but don't secrete that hormone is that occasionally they can look non-functional and then later on when they have a recurrence or progression, they can become functional. For example, a silent ACTH producing tumor, uh, which looks like a non-functioning tumor, the tumor immunostains for ACTH, but ACTH is not secreted in an active form. The patient doesn't have Cushing's. Later on, they can transition to a secreting tumor and develop hypercortisolism. The same thing I've seen happen in patients with the silent growth hormone secreting tumors and uh, the PIT1 tumors as well. So in general, we consider it a silent tumor if it immunostains or seems to be a hormone-producing uh, tumor but not secreting tumor. Or maybe it secretes in a molecule that's not biologically active and can't act on target tissues or target glands. Um, and you know we know about these because most, most good laboratories now will do histopathology and they'll do immunostains to tell us exactly what type of tumor it is. Unfortunately, some uh, pathology laboratories still just do the uh, routine studies without the immunochemistry, and patients will be told they had a uh, basophilic or eosinophilic adenoma, and we don't really know what cell type they had because they didn't uh, do the special stains. It's always best to go to a pituitary center or a place where they're going to do the full pathology profile and tell you exactly what's going on with your pituitary adenoma. And this realm of the... uh, 
silent tumors really helps us understand the fact that we need to know really what type of tumor you have so we can follow you closely and make treatment decisions. Because if you have a null cell adenoma, which is a non-functioning tumor of the pituitary gland, and have a little bit of residual disease, we might follow that over time and see if it shrinks or gets better on its own, or whether it increases in size, needing more surgery or radiotherapy. Whereas if you have a PIT1 tumor or a silent corticotroph adenoma, we're more likely to jump in with radiotherapy or if required additional surgery sooner rather than later so that we can address that tumor and prevent uh, uh, future uh, regrowth or problems as a result of that tumor. These silent tumors fit into the spectrum of what most of us refer to non-functioning pituitary adenomas, which can be bland gonadotroph adenomas uh, that are the most common. Any one of these hormone-type tumors that just simply can't produce the hormone or secrete it properly and then also the uh, PIT1 tumors and uh, what we call null cell adenomas of the pituitary gland. So I'll share one interesting patient with you. I, I could share a lot, but this, this gentleman I saw recently, he's uh, in his late 20s and uh, had uh, been diagnosed with acromegaly, had a pituitary adenoma, fairly good size, but not tremendously large. Uh, they did, they did uh, surgery and found that he had a high KI-61 or MIB-1 labeling index, and that's a test that tells us what proportion of cells are either actively dividing, getting ready to divide, or have recently divided. And we sort of correlate that loosely to what we call a proliferation rate. Uh, the higher the number, the more likely the tumor is invasive or larger, or also uh, uh, possible uh, to uh, be a malignancy. Uh, however, some of these really, really large tumors that we see have very low proliferative indexes, and, and I think that's because tumors grow in fits and starts. They get so big, they slow their growth pattern down. They stop growing. The index is going to be low, and if they went through a growth phase and we biopsied at that time, we would see a very high growth, growth uh, index in that setting, or proliferative index in that setting when the tumor is actively growing. But at any rate, this patient had a, a tumor that had a reasonably high proliferative index. We don't know the actual number, but we were just told it was high. And his tumor also stained for P53, which is generally thought to be associated with the aggressive tumors. In some tumor types, it's sort of a marker for a tumor that may potentially become a carcinoma. He had surgery. Uh, I, th I think he had residual disease. I don't remember the exact history at the moment. I don't have the chart in front of me. Um, he required uh, radiotherapy uh, for his disease. May have had two surgical procedures, but I can't recall, and I apologize for not having that detail at the moment. I've seen so many patients this week. Uh, at any rate, uh, had uh, some evidence for biochemical disease activity, was treated with uh, somatostatin analogs, and that was stopped. His IGF-1 level was normal for a while and then started to rise and ultimately relocated to the Bay Area, and we were able to see on the MRI a region of his pituitary that looked like it had just a little sliver of something years ago, had progressed and increased in uh, probably volume by tenfold, representing recurrent tumor on the part of the pituitary that was not irradiated. And we felt like that tumor was surgically accessible. We could do surgery and remove it, so we did clean resection, normal hormone levels, and his tumor proved to be a PIT1-positive plurihormonal pituitary adenoma. 
uh, immunostained for growth hormone, prolactin, and TSH, and um, is one of these uh, tumors that's in the lineage of a PIT1 protein tumor. PIT1 is a transcription factor that we can see in pituitary adenomas, and we can stain for it and see if they're there. And it sort of identifies this subtype of pituitary adenomas that can produce more than one hormone. As you may remember, about uh, 20 to 40 percent of patients with acromegaly also co-secrete prolactin, and there are about three or four different tumor types that you can have that can lead to prolactin and growth hormone secretion. And then a smaller proportion, maybe 5 percent or so of patients who have growth hormone secreting tumors would also secrete TSH. Well, this is a patient who had a tumor that was predominantly a growth hormone secreting pituitary adenoma, but also secreted prolactin, or had the ability to do so. And even though his thyroid functions were normal, uh, had some cells that were secreting TSH. Left unchecked, may have developed hyperthyroidism as a consequence of this lesion. Um, So generally speaking, with regards to these tumors, they are known to be aggressive relative to other types of tumors. Um, and one particular study showed that about 60% or so had uh, features of invasion by radiology. Uh, recurrent disease was greater than 50% over a 51-month follow-up period. And uh, these tumors are often present more in younger people. They're often clinically silent. I've seen some of these tumors that don't cause acromegaly or any hormone abnormalities. We just find it's a PIT1 tumor when we do the immunostaining. Um, they have been seen, I think, in rare patients with multiple endocrine neoplasia type 1. Um, th this article that I reviewed for this podcast suggests that one-third of patients actually have uh, hormone hypersecretion, including hyperthyroidism in 17%, acromegaly in 8%, and marked hyperprolactinemia in 4%. Uh, so these are very interesting tumors. His clinical behavior is consistent with what we see uh, based on a review of the literature and, and our understanding of this really new tumor subtype. It's a, it's a tumor subtype we've known about for a number of years, but we're starting to do the immunochemistry at UCSF now for just a little over a year. So we're starting to identify these lesions, and knowing that a patient has this lesion helps us decide that we need additional therapy uh, for these tumors if there's any residual disease up front versus, say, the null cell adenoma, which is usually very clinically benign, where we might watch that before we would do additional therapy. Now, the next type of tumor subtype that we see that can be somewhat aggressive is the silent corticotroph adenoma. These are the ACTH adenomas that either don't process the POMC molecule and release it or um, have a, an abnormal ACTH molecule or simply can't secrete the hormone even though it would make a normal molecule. We're not really sure what's going on. It's been said that if you looked at all ACTH-producing pituitary tumors that go to the uh, pituitary pathologist, 40% of them are patients that were thought to have non-functioning tumors. They're clinically silent and that they don't uh, produce uh, adequate ACTH or high levels of ACTH and you don't get Cushingoid as a result of the fact that the cortisol levels aren't elevated, whereas about 60% of these lesions are associated with hypercortisolism. And I mentioned before that some of these patients can develop uh, Cushing syndrome after many years after original diagnosis of a non-functioning tumor or a silent corticotroph adenoma, 
when the tumor progresses, for some reason, it acquires the ability to release ACTH into patients become Cushingoid. Um, these uh, tumors probably account for about 3 to 6% of all pituitary adenomas. Um, we see a fair number of these at UCSF for some reason. I'm not exactly sure why. And we've written papers on this, and we talk about the fact that most of them are macroadenomas. Um, we believe there to be a higher recurrence rate. There's a higher rate of invasion uh, at the time of diagnosis. And um, I believe now that uh, depending on the, the way you look at these tumors, you can develop in different, several different subtypes. This article references that talks about the type 1 and the type 2 subtypes, and I really haven't started looking at that um, in, uh, in our clinical practice to date in, in very great detail. But we do consider these silent ACTH-producing pituitary adenomas uh, to be a more aggressive subtype and uh, will tend to treat these patients more aggressively rather than long-term follow-up if we see ev any evidence for residual or recurrent disease. Now, as I alluded to before, any, any pituitary cell can form a pituitary adenoma and may or may not secrete a hormone. Uh, the most common type of a non-functioning tumor is probably the gonadotroph adenoma that produces LH and FSH. Uh, and these tumors often stain for those hormones or a protein called SF1. Uh, so we can tell you whether you have a silent gonadotroph adenoma uh, usually we treat these as non-functioning tumors, and they're usually relatively benign, but some can get rather large over time. Um, I think these tumors are uh, very rarely going to be associated with hormone hypersecretion, and we see that. We see, we've see we seen elderly men with hypopituitarism who have testosterone levels young enough for a pubertal boy, and that's due to the LH and the FSH secretion by their tumor. Uh, and we've seen women who... Um, are postmenopausal, and postmenopausal women usually have high LH and FSH levels, but they're higher than they should be. We take out the tumor, and uh, the LH and FSH levels come down somewhat. So we do believe that uh, occasionally these tumors do produce hormones in excess, but usually they're the clinically silent tumors. And of all the clinically silent tumors, I believe they're more, um, more or less relatively benign compared to the first two that I had mentioned uh, in this uh, discussion. So we don't treat them any differently than you know long-term follow-up radiotherapy if we need it, etc. Uh, then there are silent growth hormone secreting pituitary adenomas. I've only seen maybe five or six of these in my career. Uh, I don't think of them as any more aggressive than the usual non-functioning pituitary adenoma. Um, I tend not to think of them as any any more aggressive than the usual growth hormone secreting pituitary adenoma. Um, a couple of them I've seen have been invasive and, and rather large, uh, probably because they didn't cause acromegaly and just took a while to get diagnosed. But there's really nothing special in my mind about the silent growth hormone secreting pituitary adenomas. The silent TSH secreting adenomas are the, the rare subtype. I've never seen a silent one. Usually, well, I guess I have my patient uh, that I've opened this uh, podcast with, uh, but a pure pure TSH adenoma that's silent, I haven't seen. Most of the TSH adenomas I have seen do secrete um, uh, TSH and cause hyperthyroidism. So I would say a silent one is extremely rare uh, in clinical practice. 
And then I, I can't think of the last time if I ever have seen a silent lactotroph or prolactin secreting pituitary adenoma. I've certainly seen patients who have minimal elevations in prolactin and large tumors, and we think of those as atypical prolactinomas or acidophil stem cell adenomas, for example. Uh, but uh, I don't think of them as silent lactotroph adenomas. And I think that when you start looking at those tumors, you might get a lot of sort of crossover in patients with those types of uh, particular tumors. So um, in summary, I think it's important to have a pathology laboratory that's evaluating your tumor to tell you precisely, and your physician, precisely what type of tumor you have because some of these, quote, non-functioning, unquote, or silent pituitary adenomas are actually derived from hormone-producing cells and may transition to hormone production at some point in the future. Furthermore, uh, some are more aggressive than others and may require additional therapy if there's residual disease or therapy sooner rather than later if there's evidence for recurrent disease. And, uh, and I, I do think that the a uh, pathologist provides useful clinical information that allows doctors and patients to make treatment decisions and certainly follow-up decisions uh, uh, as well. Uh, so if you're having pituitary surgery, make sure that the pathologist is going to do a full set of immunochemistry and a proliferative index so that you can define precisely what type of tumor you have. Because I think in the year 2018, 19, 20, these advances that have happened recently and are, are continuing to happen over this three or four year period uh, illustrate that pituitary tumors are a rather more heterogeneous group of tumors and more complex than we once thought. Uh, so you want to know as much of, about your tumor as is possible now so that treatment decisions can made, be made, but furthermore for the future because there may be therapeutic uh, uh, advantages to knowing what type of tumor you have. Uh, let's say you have a tumor now, it's a silent corticotrophadenoma, uh, and uh, there's not much we could do differently at this time other than radiation or more surgery, but five years from now there may be a drug that we can use to treat this particular tumor subtype. So it's good to know what type of tumor you have because some patients have residual disease that we follow or recurrent disease that happens five or 10 years from now, and it's awesome to be able to go back and know exactly what you had so that the physicians of the future will be able to determine whether or not there uh, are therapeutic uh, uh, choices uh, for you that have developed as a consequence of our better understanding of these tumors uh, and uh, advances in molecular and cell biology and pharmacotherapeutics. All right, so once again, this is Dr. Lewis Blevins of uh, Pituitary World News. I hope that you've enjoyed today's podcast. As usual, send us your questions, and we'll try to get to those. We're all very busy, but we do try to take some time to get to all the questions that come in. Um, and then uh, the other thing I'll say is that if you have any ideas for future podcasts or articles, uh, things that you want to know and hear about, that may be relevant to others as well, then please let us, uh, let us have the opportunity to address those uh, uh, educational uh, requests uh, as well. All right, have a nice evening. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to donate any amount, it's truly appreciated. Please go to pituitaryworldnews.org and click on the Get Involved button at the top of the front page to get to our donations page 
and just follow the simple instructions. Your donations are fully tax deductible. And if you'd like to learn more about our list of initiatives and plans, please send us a note or connect with us through our social media channels. Thank you.